Did you know that the Our Urban Voices podcast is an outreach ministry of the Heart for Muslims Conference? Our vision is to promote love for Muslims and eliminate the fear of Islam. Join us this year on Saturday, November 5th at Trinity Baptist Church in Manhattan, New York. We will be focusing on the power of proximity, how your location, culture, and shared experiences can bring Christ to Muslims. Hear from Muslim ministry practitioners and connect with like-minded Christians. Find all the details at heartformuslims.com. You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecutors to author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Today, I'm joined by Jason Casper, the Middle East correspondent with Christianity Today. Our topic today focuses on the importance of uh, representing all points of view in the news, especially in the Middle East. Jason currently lives with his family of six in Beirut, Lebanon, Prior to that, he reported from Cairo, Egypt, and has lived uh, additionally in Jordan, Indonesia, uh, Mauritania. He is uh, uh, also he works through ideas and organization connected, connecting skilled Christian professionals with educational and developmental opportunities throughout the world. Um, and he is uh, really good with the, the language, Arabic uh, language. He has a degree a degree in Islamic studies. Jason reports at the intersection of religion, politics, and culture. Thank you for being here. Your role is uh, an amazing role. Uh, and I think uh, being a believer, representing different people is awesome. So I just want to welcome you, Jason. Welcome here. Hey, thank you, Alphonse. It's uh, great to be with you on the podcast today. So before we get started, please tell us uh, very briefly about your family. I believe family is uh, so important. That makes us human and people will connect with us uh, before even we talk about the Middle East and the, the situation there. Yeah, sure. I grew up in New Jersey, so we're neighbors, um, at least when I'm back in America. My wife grew up in Pennsylvania, so not far away. We both had strong Christian upbringings and very similar households, even though our families never knew each other. Uh, this summer, actually, I can share with you, we're celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, we're looking forward to doing that. Uh, you mentioned our kids. We have three girls and a boy. Their age is uh, about nine to 15. So raising them in the Middle East has been a great privilege. So I'm so happy. And, uh, um, you know, I think this is important, raising children and Maybe later we'll talk about uh, what's the difference between raising children here versus there. But to start off, can you tell us a little bit about what your job is? 
what what does your day generally look like yeah sure um one of the the fun things about journalism is every day is different you really never have any idea what's coming towards you so uh, you described me as the the middle east correspondent that that's true that's my title but uh, as my responsibilities have grown over the years, it's kind of expanded to make anything that has to do with the Muslim world in general uh, far wider than the Arab world and even the Orthodox world, because many of the traditional Christian peoples here in the Middle East belong to the uh, Orthodox denomination. So that gives me a wide scope of the world to be aware of. Uh, I spend about one hour a day surveying the news, uh, trying to figure out what's happening in the various countries. Um, whether or not there has anything to do with the religious intersection or has to do with the church. Um, but of the church, I have to pay attention to what's happening in the United States too, because uh, Christianity Today is an evangelical magazine. So I need to know the audience who I'm speaking to. Sometimes there's points of connection that will make them a little bit more interested with what's happening over here in this part of the world. So as I go through the news, I try to figure out, okay, what, what is worth writing about? Um, because we don't have to cover everything. You know, the, the mainstream media will just tell you the events. We want to know where it impacts the church um, or where it adds to our understanding about different parts of the world on a religious basis. So I exchange messages with my editor. Sometimes, you know, he tells me what I need to write about. Um, we have a good collaboration, but eventually we will settle in and say, okay, write about this. Now, this is often five or six different things at one time that I'm working on. So I'm constantly juggling these next steps for what has to happen. Um, I have to do you know, some deep background reading to understand the issue. Um, I have to figure out who the sources are. So I email them or I contact them by social media applications. Right. And maybe they answer by email or you know, we set up an interview time. Uh, when it finally I get the information I need to represent their viewpoints, then it's time to write the article. That's usually a several hour process. I check my quotes with my sources, my editor hits me and edit, and finally, somewhere at the end of that process, it gets published online and everybody sees the work that went into it. So now, sometimes that's an all-day nine-to-five job. Sometimes it takes me till 11 or 12 at night because my editor's based in Chicago. Um, but like I said, every day is different. You throw parenting into the mix, general ministry, we get through our church and our neighborhood, and um, you know, it's an adventure. Working from home is nice because I can juggle it and I have a very understanding family. I get to spend three meals a day with them most of the time. So really, there's a lot of advantages that I have even in the middle of this crazy um, trying to keep track of everything that happens in the world. I can actually be very much grounded with my family and uh, spend good time with them, too. So the Middle East is, a, is such a complex region. How do you face the challenges of reporting fairly because you I, I appreciate the effort you described uh, checking with you know finding those the sources like you're being held accountable with by somebody but on the other end you're also checking with those uh, sources making sure the uh, the the when you quote somebody you are quoting accurately and all those things but still it's very complex region how do oh, you yeah. face the challenges of reporting fairly? Um, it, it's really just diversity, uh, diversity of sources. And so I read a lot of just mainstream coverage of what took place. And I pull facts from there and I see 
you know, often relying on credible news agencies getting their facts straight. So that, that helps my work to be accurate in, uh, in a lot of cases. Um, so once I've learned what all of the various issues involved in a, you know, the topic happen to be, I have to figure out whether or not I know this topic well. If I know it well already, then I try to identify, okay, I have to talk to source A, B, C, and D, because they represent the different viewpoints that this issue is pertaining to. If I don't know the issue well, you know, sometimes I'm dealing with a new country or a region that you know, I'm not familiar with. So then I have to go to the sources that I trust. And with those ones, I'll not only ask them their opinion, but I'll also ask, can you tell me how uh, people in your country, people in the church, view this issue differently? Where are you divided on these issues? So that provides me the education that I need. And if I can do that with two or three sources from that country, that's a pretty good indication that I'll figure out where the dividing lines are. Um, finally, you know, as an evangelical publication, we don't only rely on the evangelical voice. You know, in most parts of the world here, they're, they're one, two percent of the population. So they have a very niche understanding of themselves and, and they might be wrong. So I am able sometimes to quote from Celtic, you know, Orthodox, Maronite uh, viewpoints, depending on which, you know, country we're talking about here, and sometimes Muslims. But even if I'm not quoting from Muslims directly, I need to understand what they think too, because once I've put everything together, I have to kind of do a double check. You know, if a Muslim is going to read this piece, is he going to understand that I represented his country correctly? Yeah, he may not agree with what any of the Christians are saying about this, but from my viewpoint, is it objective that he would not be ashamed or think that I'm defaming uh, his religion or his culture? So that's an important check on me as well. Make certain that I'm being fair to the sources I'm talking to, but also in like the step back, how is the viewer going to view this article no matter what side of the spectrum he comes from? That's great. So on your website, you mentioned, because I'm, I'm hearing also some of this, but I'm going to just say it. Um, on your website, you mentioned sympathetic reporting on the Middle East. What does right. it mean to distinguish, uh, distinguish um, your reporting as sympathetic? What does, I mean, what does it mean? It, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And it's a word I chose specifically just to describe my hopes for uh, what I do. Because you're right, reporting should be objective. It should be dispassionate. We just get at the facts. We portray the opinions correctly. But I think there's an aspect of, of Christian journalism that lets us go a step further. I mean, I live here. I mean, I want these countries to do well, to succeed, to have peace and stability. So that's, that's part of it. It's just that I'm connected, even as I have to dis, you know, disattach myself from everything that's going on, you can only do that so much as a human being. Um, part of it on the website, you know, the website is where I, I put links to all my articles, but I also uh, put a prayer every week that I write for Lebanon. You know, it, it's not a Christianity piece. It's just my own reflection on saying, this is what's happened in, in this country. It's not really going to be important for most Americans to know about, but here's how I'm praying for this country in the middle of all the news that's going on. Um, and so that's, that's sympathy also. I, I pray for these issues. I pray for these countries. I pray that there would be peace there. Um, but one aspect of it, you know, to approach it specifically from the Christianity to, to today perspective, um, they like to call uh, 
you know, our approach to every issue, wherever it is in the world, as thought journalism. You know, we're not getting the hard-hitting immediate coverage that you need to know as soon as something breaks. Sometimes we do that. You have to be fast. But it's more important to be reflective. So sympathy comes in the fact that, you know, we are the church. It's the body of Christ in these places. And, of course, we know that the church is wrapped up in sin and corruption just like every other institution can be. But we want the church to succeed in its ministry. We hope that we support the church in that ministry. So there's sympathy there, even as we have to objectively cover what they do. And then, of course, you know, just on a final point, like the sympathy comes through when um, I'm not just there to feed into what an American needs to know based on what is already being said into the press. Um, Our faith is global. Um, Everyone's fine to be able to stick to their national perspective. Of course, we know what we believe and we can't get away from that very often. But we do have an obligation to be more broadly aware of the way the rest of the world thinks about issues that are going on. And so being based here in the Middle East, it's important that sympathy is conveyed in the sense like, I want you, my fellow American Christian, to understand how the Lebanese Christian thinks about this, or how the Coptic Orthodox person in Egypt understands the issues. It's not always the same as we do. And so that is something that is conveyed in sympathy. I'm not going to take sides, but I want the church to be aware of what these issues are and the diversity of how we approach it, even in the united body of Christ. Right. So you said you're not going to take sides. So that's you um, Mm -hmm. believing that that's what you're doing. That's your integrity. That's you. But have you ever been accused of bias reporting? Has this been an issue with your American audience or the community that you are reporting about? Uh, fortunately, I have the advantage of not having to pay too much attention to that. Uh, my <laughs> okay. editors will worry about that. Uh, I think it's just good for my mental health not to pay attention to comments and social media and, and anything that comes up. I report and then everybody can fight about it the way they want. Um, what I do get sometimes is uh, sources sometimes giving me feedback to say, okay, yes, you covered me accurately, but that other guy, what he said is terrible, and you gave him space to say it. So, yes, the the people who care passionately about their understanding of any particular issue, they are great people because they understand the issues inside and out. They know the details. They hold you accountable. But I've got to talk to people on both sides. So it's my job to weigh between them, to make certain that as best I can tell, they're being sincere in their efforts, you know, Christian faithful to to serve God in what they're doing rather than just being manipulative, as sometimes can happen. So within this very flawed understanding that I that I have of everybody and, and uh, the issues in play, as long as I can give everybody a fair share to have their say, then, you know, my editors are happy with the job that I'm doing. And really, most of the time, the sources are too. And, and I get good feedback from, from church because they say, yes, thank you. You're helping show how we exist in this part of the world in a way that's broader than we often get covered for. So, I mean, the best answer is, is no, I don't get too much negative feedback. I think most people appreciate that I'm doing my best to yeah. represent people fairly. That's good. And I, I, I think if I'm hearing your heart, that's your vision, that's your calling right? Yeah. Uh, irrespective of uh, whether um, 
the people who just comment for the sake of commenting, commenting, com- commenting on those those statements, um, you are more interested in, in uh, the people that you're representing. How are they reading and what their feedback is? So I like that. I'm often, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm often thankful, and I'll I'll say this that I am not a United States diplomat. Right. You know, <laughs> they have to sort through all of this difficult stuff and make a decision. Yeah. Um, and God bless them for it. But you know, my role is to just help bring understanding so that they can do their job better and everybody else who's paying attention. Right. So can you explain why understanding the fundamental uh, importance of religion is so crucial to understanding the people in the Middle East? Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, one, one thing to look at, for example, is just compare it to the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, over in America uh, and in much of the Western world, there's been a secularization process where people can have their faith and it's important mm-hmm. and it's often honored, but mm-hmm. it's not integrated into society. Um, for example, when I'm speaking Arabic, uh, if I'm talking about the future, I will, you know, in my own normal English talking, I'm just going to say, you know, hopefully I'll get this done next week. Um, you know, we're taught in the Bible to say, if God wills that. Well, the Arabs actually say, if God wills that, um, inshallah. And so that reference to Allah, to God, is peppered everywhere in the conversation here. So if you don't get religion, you're not going to understand how God-infused their everyday life is, whether they're strong believers or not. Um, but there's another aspect of it. Um, we know as people, especially as you know, maybe most of the folk listening to this uh, podcast are, are fellow believers, um, whenever anyone touches on our religion, it sets us off. It's a sensitive trigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all the more so over here, even among people who aren't religious, because it's so tied to identity that um, if you don't understand religion and how it fits into the various makeups and components of society in the Middle East, you're not going to understand conflict well. Egypt, for example, is a great example of that. Um, you know, every society has struggles and every struggle is going to blow up if it goes wrong. But if that struggle just happens to be between a Muslim and a Christian, it can sometimes get amplified. Um, so much more than it would have otherwise. Not because religion is at the heart of it, but because it's a trigger point for both people. Um, you look at Lebanon. Another way the religion factors in is that religion is so easily manipulated by politics. You know, they, politicians know how to use that language because it's so crucial to who we are to kind of line us up, us against them. Um, and the iterations of that in America and the Middle East are, are just so vast. Uh, Lebanon has 18 different religious communities. And so you just think how you can play one against the other for the sake of your local power base. Um, you need to understand religion in order to see how it fits into all of that. Now, 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 a lot of this, of course, has almost nothing to do with religion itself. But if we do look at religion and we try to understand what does each religion say? What do people truly believe? What did the prophets teach us in this case? Um, religion is a great force for strength moral courage to uh, change your society, to stand up for what's right. At the same time, it can drive you to evil. Um, And you see both aspects of that when you look at a a group like ISIS, you know, who on the basis of their religion are actively killing other people who disagree with them. But yet you see those Christians who are putting their testimony on the line, not denying Christ, even in the face of their death. And, And this is religion. This is real on both sides. So 
we need to get this or else we're going to, you know, give some sort of other social explanation for what's going on here. And God is at the center of so much of our life. And we often don't get that significantly enough in the United States. That's, that's very healthy understanding. And coming from Pakistan, I, I concur that this is exactly what I see too. And that's yeah. not limited to Christian versus Muslim or Muslim versus uh, Hindus or Christians or anybody else. They are because majority is Muslim. So even within their own, uh, uh, you know, sectarianism, they are fighting on the based on the same thing. And they are gaining power based on religion and caste system and all the other things. So it does play a big role. So I think there is a frequent misconception that all Arabs are Muslims. In reality, 30% of uh, Lebanese or Lebanon's uh, population is uh, Christian. Um, there are many Christian Palestinians, Syrian, Egyptian, Jordanians, etc. And these are indigenous uh, Christian populations. As an outsider, what have you learned about the relationships Christians have with their Muslim neighbors or friends? Yeah, um, it is something that you do run across that oftentimes Americans don't realize just how many Arabs are Christians. Um, to add to your list there, um, the diaspora communities in the United States, if you meet an Arab in America, mm -hmm. it's almost like a one in two chance that he's going to be a Christian. I mean, there's been outsized uh, immigration of Christians from the Muslim world than there have been of comparative uh, you know, Muslim populations. So, um, step back over here to where I live and really everyday relationships, everyday life, people just get on fine. Um, most people in the end, like don't really live according to their religion. We don't look at each other that way. In, in some countries, the communities dress differently. So you can tell in some, they don't, but whether they do or they don't, people are buying from the same stores. They're driving, you know, riding in the same buses. Um, they're getting into, you know, traffic <laughs> with the same, you know, religious communities and yelling at everybody all the same. So um, I, I think we shouldn't make too much of the question that you know, these people are, are at odds with one another. No, it's, um, there's, there's differences, but people are friends all in every country that I've lived in so far. But, but you can't just leave the answer there. Because, you know, as I described of, you know, Egypt in, in particular there, and Lebanon's the same, and, and everywhere you go, if you talk to a Christian, they will understand that they're different as a Christian. And the Muslim is maybe just a little bit less to be trusted. Um, I don't hear this as much from Muslims, because maybe they're not entering into that level of trust to admit such a thing to me. But you look at the way life works, and it's very similar. So that tension is below the surface and it sometimes prevents like the deep relationship that you can have with a fellow human being. Um, and sometimes it makes things a little bit superficial. Um, what's interesting to note, and you know, whether this is right or wrong or natural, I don't know, but often you see it, the greater degree that a person is religious, mm -hmm. the more you'll see that that religious identity can make a barrier between others. Well, um, it doesn't that's mean that for you, both Christians and Muslims, right? Or other, for sure. Yeah. Okay. 
For sure. Like, um, you know, Christians, I'm not saying that in a way that it prevents them from loving their, mm-hmm. their Muslim neighbor. Uh, sometimes it does, for sure. But when your religion is not important to you, you just get on with somebody as a human being. When it is important to you, you, you look at them a little bit differently. And Muslims and Christians are, are the same in that degree. So since uh, moving to the Middle East, have any of your views on religion or the Middle East changed? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to even reflect on that because I've been here so long. It was 1998 when I first arrived. Um, one thing for sure has definitely changed. And that is how I view the traditional Christian communities of the Middle East. Um, like most American Protestants, I grew up with the idea that um, the Catholics, the Orthodox over there in that part of the world, um, if I even knew they existed, um, I did know they exist, but they, you know, they're, they're full of ornate churches with lots of pictures and smelly stuff, and they go through a ritualistic faith, and it doesn't really make a difference to them. Um, it's, it's dead. It's um, what they inherit because they're born that way. Um, but when you live here, of course, that's true of tons of people, you know, just like it is in any nation of the world. But it's surprising to see how many people really do love God. Um, and if we think of it in terms of like evangelical markers, they go to church faithfully. They memorize their scriptures. They're, they're trying to act out their faith. Um, they're being faithful to live an honest life in front of the world as a witness. And so I can certainly say this about the Coptic Orthodox Church, which I think if I remember my statistics correctly, in terms of like the, the Bible societies that exist around the world, uh, Egypt has the fourth highest uh, distribution rate, uh, wow. publication rate of anybody. Wow. There's 100 million Egyptians in the world and you know, maybe 15 million of them are Christians. So there's a huge market there to sell to, but it's incredible the way that they have memorized their scriptures. They can put most of us to shame in the way that they can, uh, you know, say Psalms and identify where things are located in the Bible. Hmm. Now here in Lebanon, I've only been here for three years. And so I'm still in the process of trying to, to learn that. Um, it's incredible the degree to which Lebanese Christians have an attachment to their Christianity. Um, you see that, you know, going back to the Civil War years, uh, you know, 30 years ago, that they fight for their, their Christian territory, their Christian identity. Now, do they live it in that same way? I've certainly seen examples of people who do, but I'm trying to, to dig a little deeper to know if that would be characteristic of the church in the same way that I found it to be true of the Coptic Orthodox. Wow. That is a great insight into cultural and religious uh, um, fight that goes on. I, I, I bet even uh, uh, individuals do not know why they're fighting. I think it's just so convoluted is so involved so sometimes you it is the base is your culture the other time is the base is your your identity and the other time is just the religion it's a it's so much it's just you um it's interesting so if a christian is hoping to better understand the middle east what is something you would recommend to them uh, the favorite arabic phrase that is on everyone's lips is ahlan wa sahlan. that oh, yeah. is welcome please come visit. Um, You know, obviously I can't receive all of your listeners, but to to those who know us, we'd be more than happy to welcome you. And, and, you know, depending on the country you want to pick, we can probably help 
connect you to, you know, various churches or agencies that will give you experiences to really enter into the life here. But forget that, just come as a tourist. There's amazing things to look at in every part of this region. Um, now, that's a lot of money. So most leaders aren't, most listeners aren't going to be able to do that. But in the United States, there are plenty of immigrants. Um, there's refugees. I, I know that welcome that I have received here, the hospitality that I've been given as a stranger in their lands. Please repay my debt. Reach out to them. Say hello. Invite them to your homes. They'll love that. And, and just be curious. Ask them questions. They'll tell you what they think. Most wow. of them are beautiful people. That's amazing. Um, now, again, maybe you don't have those people in your neighborhood or, or the boldness. You know, that's a tough thing for an American mm-hmm. to do. It's mm-hmm. very natural to the Arab. But OK, Americans were more reserved. Um, read. You know, I, I hope that the, the coverage that we put out at Christianity Today is going to be helpful to help you really dig into these countries. You know, when something happens in the news and it takes your attention and, you know, you, you commiserate a little bit with the suffering that goes on here all the time. Um, you know, just read the coverage and try to enter the world a little bit and what these sources are saying. Picture yeah. them a little bit. You know, this is a seminary head. This yeah. is a pastor of a church. These are people who you can identify with. Right. Um, right. And they're going to say stuff that's going to be weird. So mm-hmm. just be patient, listen and work along with it. Submit mm-hmm. it to God, pray and ask him to give you that understanding. I mean, that's really the best answer. God will open your minds if you want him to. So Jason, if listeners wants to get in touch with you, what are the easiest ways? Uh, yeah, well, I invited you all to come visit me in my home practically. <laughs> that, so let's do that first, right? Say, Please do not contact me directly. <laughs> um, but yeah, the website, uh, you know, I'm sure you've got a link to it there, jasoncasper.com. My name is spelled a little weird. It's J-A-Y-S-O-N. Um, and then uh, Twitter is a good way to interact because there you can send me messages. Um, yeah. I am uh, JNJ, the letters JNJ Casper on Twitter. And so that's probably my, my favorite social media method to be able to scan the news, but also to communicate with people. So they're definitely very welcome to, to follow along there and to reach out when, uh, when anyone wants to. Are we connected through Twitter? Let me look into that because that's also yes, my... Yes, I think so. Yeah, that's also my way of uh, connecting with other people too. Twitter is such an easy thing and comment. Uh, but, but let me say this, that we will also be including, including all of this information in the episode's description. So we'll make sure that it's there for people to uh, see, especially your Twitter information, so they can see the update regularly. Uh, for the last thing, because we talk about heavy topics and subject seems to be sometimes very serious, for example, in this case. Uh, so I like to yeah. ask you to tell a joke to lighten the mood. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not the best joke teller. Arabs are, Egyptians especially. They love to uh, get away from their inability to change anything politically by uh, talking <laughs> like, about jokes. So but this, this, is, a, this is a decent one. Um, you know, Arabs, of course, know who Einstein is. And uh, there was a day that Einstein and uh, an old Arab sheikh were, were traveling across the country. They, they struck up a conversation. And Einstein liked to tease him and said, uh, you know, OK, uh, let, let's play a game. I'll, I'll ask you a question. And if you don't know the answer, you give me five bucks. And the sheikh smiled a little bit. And, you know, he, obviously, Einstein's got that crazy hair. He knows who he's talking to here. But he also has a secret. He knows Bedouin culture. And so we figured, okay, maybe, maybe I can play this game with him a little bit. 
But still, I mean, it's Einstein. You're going to change the odds a little. So mm-hmm. Einstein agreed if the sheikh knew a question, uh, knew, you know, was able to ask a question that Einstein couldn't answer, he'd get $100. Like, okay, yeah, sure, that's fair enough, right? So Einstein, he goes first. He says, okay, sheikh, tell me, prime numbers. What is the hundredth prime number in sequence? Sheikh looked at him. Of course, he doesn't know. <laughs> he's hardly <laughs> had an education. Out in the yeah. Bedouin, you know, he's in the desert all day. So he reaches into his pocket, hands over the $5. Now it's his turn. She, you know, Einstein goes, good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, by the way, the answer is 541, just so you know that now. Sheikh smiled, turned to Einstein and said, okay, what goes up a mountain with three legs, but comes back down with only one leg? Einstein looked dumbfounded. Like, this is a riddle. Like, I guess, it, I don't know. I don't know. So obviously he's got his money, gives the, the sheikh $100. And uh, okay, takes it, puts it in his pocket. And Einstein's looking at the sheikh. And says, well, okay, aren't you going to tell me the answer? What's the answer? What goes up with three legs? Comes down with one. Sheikh looks at Einstein, hugs his shoulders, reaches into his pocket. And five dollars back to Einstein says thank you very much, Jesus. <laughs> That's so cool. That tells you the culture too. Yeah, they I mean, like sometimes they like to tell jokes to insult them, you know, like they will have their favored yeah. uh, nationality to put down as well, just like we do with our culture. Yeah, right. This is a good so, one where they do like to highlight yeah. that they have a leg up on the rest of the world too. Sometimes. That's right. So thank you so much for being uh, on the show again. That was uh, Jason Casper, correspondent for Christianity Today. And thank you to all our listeners. If you appreciate this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the show and uh, leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. Tune in next week for more honest discussions from diverse voices. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.